0: Considering we just came from Valentine's Day, it reminds me of a meme that said, you don't have to be lonely on Valentine's Day if you've been lonely all year. What is the loneliest thing you've ever done? One internet suggestion on managing loneliness said, if you're lonely, dim all the lights and put on a horror movie. After a while, you won't be alone anymore. Another suggestion said, I'm lonely because I got in an argument with the voices in my head today, and now we're not talking to each other anymore. (laughs) Jokes aside, it might be easier to joke if you're not very lonely. So what is loneliness? The last few weeks as I prepared for today, pop group Backstreet Boys has been saying over and over in my head, show me the meaning of being lonely from their 1999 hit single. Miriam, psychologist Miriam Start parent is here to help us clear up the meaning of being lonely. She says, loneliness is a normal response to the perception of being alone when one desires intimacy. It is different than solitude, which is the state of being alone. The distinction here is that the state of solitude is a desired aloneness that is often sought after. So loneliness is actually the desire of intimacy. When have you felt alone? Someone recently said to me, loneliness is the awkward kid in the high school cafeteria kind of problem. You don't want anyone else to know it, but you deeply feel it. People are lonely for various reasons. Sometimes it might be due to physical or mental health conditions temporary circumstances, it could be life changes that seem either positive or negative. And in all these scenarios, a person can find themselves in social isolation with a loss of close, connected people, and yet still desire intimacy. We also cannot forget the obvious few years affecting loneliness and connection of our global society starting back in March of 2020. This year may have so far been one of the loneliest years of my life, of which I had what could be categorized as both a positive and a negative loss or change. You see, my mom passed away a year ago, as of Thursday. A negative. And just before that, I started this job, a positive. With my mom passing away, I no longer had the one person in my life I could call upon anytime. But there, <clears throat> granted, I have friends, I have family, I have siblings that could say I could call them anytime. Uh, most of whom are far away. But there is nothing that can replace your mom and her avail- availability, especially if you're lucky enough to have one who could also be your best friend. My dad and I were close too. However, he passed away when I was in college. Starting this job, a positive, however, has a lot of things to learn, a lot of things to take in, meeting a lot of new people. The experience sometimes can feel void of intimacy because of all that you're taking in, and me here struggling a bit with a hurting heart because of my loss. Honestly, being a therapist is a unique spot, too, because I have very intimate conversations with people, but not of myself or for me, with me. So there's a false sense of intimacy for me as a therapist at times, because true relational intimacy involves mutual sharing, which generally doesn't take place in in the role of a therapist. Fortunately, I do have prayerful people in my life and a spiritual connection with our Heavenly Father. For both of these losses and changes, I know that this is what has sustained me. But this doesn't mean that I don't long for and desire intimacy here on Earth. After all, we were all created for this. For those that don't have prayerful people or a connection with our Heavenly Father, or furthermore, intimately connected relationships, I can only imagine the dark cloud that person might be experiencing. These are some of my recent big picture experiences with loneliness. But what does research say about loneliness? Research at Harvard tells us that 61% of young people today report feeling seriously lonely or serious loneliness. A survey also found that younger adults ages 18 to 22, the Gen Zers, are the loneliest and claim to be in worse health than older generations. As well, in 2020, it was reported that 50% of adults uh, feel lonely, with 18% of them reporting feeling lonely often or always. And then pre-pandemic, Another study said that 43% of Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful. We also know from these kinds of studies that loneliness has been linked to negative physical and mental health occurrences, such as risk of heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, inflammation, weaker immune systems, depression, cognitive decline, increased anxiety, and suicide. During this last sermon series, we were lovingly challenged to help outsiders feel like insiders and to just be kind. Today, I'd like to give you a few extra thoughts on how to go about doing some of that one-on-one. Whether you're the lonely one needing to come out of it, or you're not lonely, but it is your or our calling as Christians to help others and to connect with others. However, if you are the lonely one, ultimately, it is not... Someone else's responsibility to get you out of loneliness, or to read your mind that you're lonely. It is your responsibility. So that might mean that you maybe need to start with a professional to help support and help support you in thinking and addressing things differently. As we attempt to look deeper into loneliness, I couldn't help but share the, this, these findings the Center for Bible Engagement Research found that people who read their Bible four or more times a week are 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Just for reading the Bible, that seems like a pretty good payoff. Obviously, we know that there are many other benefits to reading the Bible. There are some other benefits I couldn't pass up. So in addition, They also found that those that engage with scripture four or more days a week have these lower odds of getting drunk, having sex outside of marriage, using pornography, or gambling. Those are pretty significant odds. But even better than that, in addition, if you were to read the Bible four or more times a week, they said that people were much more likely to share their faith with others, disciple others, and memorize scripture. To me, this was interesting because If being in the word means that a person is that much more likely to be sharing their faith and discipling others, that likely means that that person is finding ways to connect, interact, and have warm, intimate conversations with people, spending time listening and sharing their own experiences. Therefore, reading the Bible encourages us to reach out in these ways of sharing, sharing our faith, discipling others. And so it is no wonder that you would experience 30% less loneliness. As Christians, we need to consider our priorities and spiritual practices. So I hope this encourages you to be in God's word more. Some of you may have heard about the study of adult development from Harvard. It is a longitudinal study, the longest ever, still ongoing. And it has been following two groups of men, now including their wives. The goal is to identify the psychological predictors of healthy aging. The study seeks to answer the question, what is the single most contributing factor to a happy life? The answer is, warm, intimate relationships are the most important prologue to a good life. They find that those that fare best have connected relationships and community. Can you say you have intimate relationships and community? When was the last time you had a warm conversation? So this brings us to our scripture reading for today. What do we know about Philippi at the time that Paul was writing? Well, it was a cosmopolitan city whose church reflected great diversity of background and social status. There were many attitudes and lifestyles represented likely making unity a challenge. The situation begs that they were struggling with community and that there were fractures in the church, causing people to hurt and to be lonely. Then Paul said this to them, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." I think one of the summarized implications we could get from Paul in this passage is that loneliness dies and community thrives when we are humbly interested in others. So what do we do with this? How is it that loneliness dies and community thrives? Well, in the book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility, the author Heather Holloman suggests four mindsets to adopt to have loving, warm conversations. I want to draw from her work today by using just one word to grasp these mindsets as we extrapolate from what Paul is saying. So Paul would say, How to be interested in others, he would say, through curiosity. Curiosity is being interested enough in others to ask them questions. How will you ever know the interests of others if you've never asked them? Curiosity is being interested enough to ask others about themselves. Dale Carnegie famously said in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, You can make more friends in two months by becoming genuinely interested in in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Psychology researcher Todd Cashton says that interpersonal curiosity is the secret juice of relationships. He further researched the reason curious people have better relationships, reporting that curiosity helps us deal with rejection, makes us less aggressive, and helps our social life. Someone once said, it's hard to be mad and curious at the same time. Author Heather Holloman says that displaying curiosity when interfacing with a person, quote, builds a sense of belonging, increases our positive mood, generates closeness, reduces prejudice, and enhances our curiosity. Sorry, creativity and productivity. Wow. She also surmises that curious people desire new information about others. They believe they will learn something important and meaningful. She further reflects saying that curious people have a humble and teachable heart. Paul agrees, because in verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. One story goes as such. A woman once went out with two different guys, and she fell in love with the second guy. When she was asked what was the difference between these two men, she said, I went out with the first guy, and he was amazing. I mean, that guy knew so much, I think more than anyone I had ever met. And I was so impressed by his accomplishments, and that he had just done so much. He shared a lot, and it was quite an amazing experience. So why did you fall in love with the second guy? Well, because by the end of the evening, I felt amazing. He just kept asking me questions, and I was able to open up and share things that most people aren't interested in, and it energized me, and I felt amazing. The young woman was honored by that gentleman's curiosity in her. It was the path to producing genuine closeness like an iceberg, you really only see a fraction on the outside. You must believe that there is a lot more you're not seeing, and you get to break through that ice through curiosity. The gentleman searched to know the treasure in this young woman. Each child of God is a treasure and has a treasure hiding inside of them, and you get to dig for that treasure. So Paul would say, curiosity. Because loneliness dies and community thrives when you are humbly interested in others. What next? How else? Paul would encourage through belief. The belief I'm referring to here is a mental acceptance, something believed or accepted as true. Is it true or not that all God's children are treasures? Can you believe that? Do you extend that kind of positive regard? If we are believing that anyone we come into contact with is a treasure and has treasure hidden inside of them, then we must believe the best in them. After all, treasure is good. Hopefully, you're also believing and looking out for your own interests. Because Paul also said, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So I'd like to note here that he acknowledges that you should care for yourself, too. Because if you're not caring or believing the best about yourself, then it might be hard to genuinely and authentically do that for others. Furthermore, American psychologist Carl Rogers believed the best way to help people is to first accept them as they are, without trying to change them, judge them, or shame them. This is what he calls positive regard. Without trying to judge, change, judge, or shame, that should sound a lot like what it would be to encounter Jesus on a personal basis. Parents, positive regard is especially important for your young people. It aids in their sense of belonging. It aids in anyone's sense of belonging. Your positive regard for your child could go a long way. The belief we have about a person will absolutely impact how we act, hopefully in a good way. But further than action, how will someone know what I believe about them? Well, you must tell them. You must tell them what you believe. This belief requires you to let them know that you believe the best in them. If you don't tell them, they won't know. It could be as simple as saying to someone, I really enjoy talking to you or I really enjoy your presence, or when you share. So what would Paul say about having positive beliefs about others? He would say that when you have positive beliefs about others, loneliness dies and community thrives when we are humbly interested in others. How else? He would say through empathy. This is the ability to perceive, understand, and become infected with the emotions around you. Writer Jess Lair says, empathy is your pain in my heart. As we invest by really listening to another person, our brain recreates those scenarios in our brain so that we can understand and take action. Throughout my college years, I worked as a dental assistant. One day, a patient was talking in great detail about a head injury she had experienced. I was listening so intently and so focused that I started to get woozy. My brain was attempting to recreate the experience of her pain that she was describing. I was a bit faint, so I did have to go lie down on the floor (laughs) to recover. This is a God-given ability. Note, you can do this with any kind of experience being described to you. Our personal histories do influence how we read each other's emotions, but but this ability is a part of us and that can and should be worked on and fine-tuned. And this is what Paul encourages. All humans have the ability to have empathy thanks to mirror neurons. In the process of empathizing, we first suffer with the other, and then that is followed by compassion, which is a feeling of sympathy and tenderness. That feeling propels us into action, often causing us to sometimes even reach out to physically help a person. Paul is saying to step into empathizing. That is what Jesus did for us. Paul is saying that will transform community life. When we have a community of people who can honestly say, I have your pain in my heart, then you know what we won't have? We won't have loneliness, because loneliness dies and community thrives when you're humbly interested in others, when you have empathy. And lastly, through vulnerability. Vulnerability. This is you also sharing parts of your life. Paul is inviting us to share those parts of ourselves. I'm not implying that you have to start by sharing deep, vulnerable thoughts, but you do have to share about yourself too. In the book that I mentioned earlier uh, from Heather Holloman, she talks about six areas of life that can be used to open up conversation or for you to share about. Those six areas are as such. Social, the full range of all our social interactions. Emotional, how we feel about ourselves and our experiences. Cognitive, what we think about and what we are learning. Volitional, our choices that give us a sense of control and authority. And spiritual, our soul and the unseen spiritual world around us. So through curiosity, belief, and empathy, you have begun to exercise Christian love and care. But how do you truly make the first three mindsets into community? Well, in fact, the beginning of our passage of our scripture reading today sets us up by encouraging, sharing, or community, or better said, koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word used in this passage. Koinonia's primary meaning is fellowship sharing in common, communion. Paul sets up this chapter and section by highlighting and encouraging koinonia. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. As Christians, our koinonia with each other is based on our common koinonia with Jesus Christ. And if you exude the light of Christ even to unbelievers, you will minister to them and they will be drawn to your community. In genuine community, there is sharing. This means that you need to practice asking questions out of curiosity while maintaining positive beliefs and extending empathy and then you get to share about yourself, too. This will allow other people to get to know you, but also present opportunities for the other person to engage in the first three mindsets. This way, you are building community rather than giving an interview. Paul is urging us to koinonia, community, because loneliness dies and community thrives when you are humbly interested in others. Not having any clue that I would be writing and spending the majority of my sermon today talking about community, my sister recently posted, it takes six to eight pallbearers to lift you up when you're deceased. Imagine what you could accomplish if you had six to eight people lifting you up while you're living. I pray that you will encounter community. If you're lonely, using these mindsets from Philippians. If you're not so lonely, I hope you will practice discipleship in this way to increase your community by adopting these four mindsets and lessons. For some, it might be a small community you already have and you need to nurture. And for others, it might be one that you need to start or look for. Because loneliness dies and community thrives when you're humbly interested in others. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence today. Thank you for each person who is in earshot of my voice. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will stir them. I pray especially for those that may be hurting or lonely that you will comfort them. And I pray above all and in all that you will stir each and every person to these four mindsets, to your teachings on community, And I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has gone before me already to prepare your children to do as such. We love you and thank you that we can pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.